All right, James chapter 5 is where we'll be tonight. This morning, uh, we looked, uh, of course, in James chapter 4, and uh, as part of that, we commented on how uh, these businessmen had been making plans for themselves, making plans for their business, without consulting the will of God. Uh, what is the will of God for their life? What is the will of God for their business? Uh, you know, I, I believe since you know, really all business is, is uh, personal uh, business, uh, no matter how large the company gets, I believe God has a will for businesses as well, right? And so they never consulted God upon what his will should be for their business. And one part of their plan that James specifically mentions up in chapter uh, 4 uh, in verse uh, 13, he says one of their plans was to make a profit. And I said this morning, there's nothing evil about making a profit. There's nothing scripturally wrong with making a profit. It's the way they were going about it that was wrong, and that's they were going about it without seeking the will of God. And so as we move into chapter 5, uh, we're really looking at uh, what is the opposite of what uh, our financial peace class just finished tonight. Um, we were in, in financial peace. It's nine weeks. We were in lesson seven tonight. And it was all about uh, retirement planning and college savings. So essentially, the lesson was about building wealth in a scriptural way. As we look tonight, let's see, that was what to do with money. Now, if you want to know what to do with money, you really need to take Financial Peace University in January when we offer it again, okay? This is about what not to do with money, is what James is pointing out. And, of course, you can take some of the what not to do's and turn them around and get some of the what to do's. But the Bible talks a lot about money. The Bible talks a lot about uh, the way we're to treat money, the way we are to, to use money. And God wants his people to be abundantly blessed in every area of life. I believe that. I'm not just preaching health, wealth, and prosperity. I believe that when we follow God's will, uh, we'll have hard times, but ultimately uh, we'll be blessed. And, uh, you know, that's why I love Financial Peace University so much is because it's all about God's plan for money. And that's an area we often don't think about God's plan. But consider these passages of Scripture uh, concerning wealth. Proverbs 13.22 says, A good man, or a righteous man, depending on your translation, leaves an inheritance to his children's children. Proverbs 15, verse 6 says, In the house of the righteous is much treasure. Or maybe in your translation it says, in the house of the righteous there are stores of choice, food, and oil. So the Bible says we should store up wealth. We should, for, for scriptural reasons that we'll get into, uh, or we won't actually get into those, we'll get into what not to do tonight, but we should store up wealth. But Jesus cautions us on this over in, uh, in John. Jesus cautions us and says your treasure it's where your heart is. Where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. And so Jesus isn't saying don't build wealth. Jesus is saying don't let your wealth get you, right? Don't put your hopes and your, your plans in the future. Don't place that on the same pedestal as you'd place Jesus. Over in Luke chapter 16, Jesus says, again, and we can apply this to the uh, principles of wealth building, Jesus says no servant can serve two masters. For either will hate one and love the other, or he will be devoted to one and despise the other. So as we look tonight at what not to do with money, we'll kind of see that one of the things we're not to do with money, we shouldn't worship it. 
We shouldn't make the money our master. We shouldn't be slave to that. And, of course, you know that, that Paul wrote to Timothy, and he said money is the root of all evil. No, he didn't, did he? I was waiting to see if anybody would shake their head at that. He didn't say that. He said the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. So we see that there's nothing evil about money. Where the evil comes in is how we act in response to the money. And in James chapter 5, we find a group of people who've decided to worship their stuff and they've decided to worship their money and their wealth instead of worshiping God. They've decided that the whole plan for their life is how do I get more stuff? It's not how does all that fit into the will of God for my life. They're worshiping their stuff. And these are people who are obviously, aren't, they aren't focused on the will of God. They're, focusing, they're focused on their will, their own will. So, let's, uh, you know, as James is addressing this topic, it's not like he just goes into this topic of money. Uh, the whole letter that James has written is all about uh, describing and examining the marks of a true believer. And because believers need to know these things so we don't fall into the same traps as lost people. So how do we avoid these traps? Let's read in James chapter 5, beginning in verse 1, just a few verses of scripture here. James says, come now. Hey, there's that, there, there's that instruction again. Listen, this is important. Pay attention to what I'm about to say. Come now, you rich. Weep and howl for your miseries that are coming upon you. Your riches are corrupted and your garments are moth-eaten. Your gold and silver are corroded and their corrosion will be witness against you and will eat your flesh like fire. You have heaped up treasure in the last days. Indeed, the wages of the laborers who mowed your field which you kept back by fraud, cry out. And the cries of the reapers have reached the ears of the Lord of Sabaoth. You have lived on the earth in pleasure and luxury. You have fattened your hearts as in the day of slaughter. You have condemned, you have murdered the just. He does not resist you. Let's pray together tonight. Father, thank you for letting us come back to your house tonight to study your word. And Father, I pray that tonight as we read about the mistakes of others and how, how they viewed money and how they viewed wealth, I pray that we can learn from these mistakes and that we can live our lives in, in every aspect, including our finances, in a way that would bring you honor and would bring you glory and that we'd seek your will for every aspect of our life. And I ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. So, James gets their attention. Listen up. This is important. I told you that phrase is used twice in the entire New Testament. And we've read both of them today. At the end of James chapter 4, there in verse 13, and again now in James chapter 1, verse 5. This is important. They would have known that. They would have remembered that from the way the prophets talked. Listen up. You don't want to miss what's about to be said. He's talking to who? The rich. As we read the context of this, this is not just, he's not talking to all the people who have a lot of money. He's talking to the people who have gotten their wealth 
through less than honest ways. And they've gotten wealth in ways that don't honor God, as we'll see as we look through this. He, that, that's who he's talking to. And the first thing he says, this is a warning. He says, weep and howl for your miseries are, that are coming upon you. What does this mean, weep and howl? Well, the word here, weep, is the same word used to describe the wailing when somebody dies. Now, we've seen that. We know what that is. We know he's talking about weeping. But when used together, this weep and howl, these words are the picture of an intense outburst of uncontrollable grief. He says, hey, you, you who have a, uh, the wrong view of money, you're worshiping money instead of wor- worshiping God, get ready for uncontrollable grief because misery's coming. What's the misery? Misery's the judgment of God because of their view, their improper view of money. So what was their view? How do they live? We need to know that so we can avoid it. And so we'll look at that. The first thing we see is in verse 2. It says, Your riches are corrupted, and your garments are moth-eaten. Your gold and silver are corroded. What's happening here? They're hoarding things is when it comes down to it. They're, and they're not just hoarding it. They're hoarding it for themselves. And they're hoarding it for their own use. Uh, maybe in, in your translation, it says your riches have rotted. We see this word riches. It could just mean general wealth. But then when we put this word that's translated corrupt or translated rotted, depending on your English translation, we see that James is narrowing it down. And he's not just talking about there. He's not just talking about general wealth. He's talking about food. I mean, these people, I guess they're gluttonous. They're storing up so much food for themselves. They're not sharing it with those in need. They're storing up all this food, and it's going bad before they can ever get to it. Now, this is not, uh, they're not doing this in such a way, kind of like sometimes, you know, we go on a health kick, and so here's the way the diet works. You go, you buy all this health food, and then when it goes bad, you throw it away. You know, so far we've lost like 60 bucks. But, um, bad joke. But he's not talking about things that maybe accidentally or you, you forgot about that apple and, you know, and it rotted. That can, no, these people are purposefully hoarding up as much food as they can because they say, hey, we're going to kick it back. We're going to store all this up for me, myself, and I kick back and do nothing. But they store it up so much and they're not sharing it that it rots And then it's no good for anybody. That's what's happening there. He says, and your garments are moth-eaten. Now, uh, the Amplified Bible says, your fine clothes. These were what James is referring to here. And, of course, it's very much tradition then. Uh, Maybe this may happen in some Of course, fashion trends change so much now. I don't know that anybody does this now. But it's very common in that day to have these very fine and very elegant uh, pieces of clothing that, that they may be jewel-encrusted, bedazzled, so to speak. They bedazzled things way back then. You know, I mean, uh, they were jewel-encrusted. They may have had this, uh, this really detailed, fine embroidery that, of course, was done by hand. They didn't have embroidery machines back then, of course. And so these, these were very expensive garments that they'd be passed down from generations. These were family heirlooms. And, and James says, 
you people, you, you're corrupt. You, and you've got, you're not passing these things down, and you're just you're hoarding up more and more. You've got so much you can't wear them. The moths, they just become food for the moths. You just, you're not, no one's getting any use out of this stuff. And then, then he says, and, and even your money, your gold and your silver are corroded. Now, he could have literally, he could have meant this literally because their gold and their, their silver coins, they weren't pure metals uh, in that day. They would have had probably some other, some impurities mixed in that could rust. Uh, you know, he could be talking about that or he could just, he could be talking figuratively about their money that says their, their money's just sitting there and it's not helping anybody. So what's the problem with all these things? What's the problem with the food, with the clothing, and with the money, and what they're doing with that? The thing is, is that God doesn't give us the resources that he gives us just for us, does he? I mean, we have to remember that as we look through, through scripture, it tells us over and over and over again that nothing we have belongs to us, and that everything we have belongs to God. Remember when God called Abraham back in Genesis chapter 12, he says, I will bless you. Why? So that you can be rich and famous and everybody will know your name? No. He said, I will bless you, and then you will be a blessing. We're given the things that we're given, not so that we can hoard them up for ourselves, but so that we can bless others with it. And when we have that perspective, it really helps us. Now, of course, there's nothing wrong with saving money. Like I read those scriptures earlier, the Bible teaches us to save. We need to save. We need to save for, for emergencies. We need to save for retirement. The Bible tells us in 1 Timothy 5.8, Paul told Timothy, said, but if anyone does not provide for his own, especially for those of his own household, he's denied the faith and is worse than an unbeliever. So we have to do some saving. We have to do some investing to take care of our family and to take care of those that we are responsible for. That's part of being a responsible adult. You know, saving so that if something happens to me, you know, Truett and Mary will be okay because they'll have my retirement accounts and the money I've saved up and that sort of thing, you know. We need to save to take care of our family. But we don't need to let all that wealth just stagnate. It needs to be flowing through us to bless others. That's why God has given it to us. And that's the first problem that we see here with this group of people that James is talking to. They're not allowing that to happen. They're just hoarding up as much stuff as they can so that they can just have more stuff. So I'll tell you, hoarding is a sin. I believe that. I believe the Bible teaches us, and here we see it, that hoarding is against God's plan for the stuff he's allowed us to have. Don't look at anybody. <laughs> I saw some people looking around the room. But we think about the stuff, and I'm guilty of this. Let me tell you, I used to be more so than I am now. But we look at the stuff that we have around our homes. And you look at, think about how many clothes we have, right? I mean, I could go through my closet and I need to. I do it every once in a while. I could need to go through it again. Got clothes I hadn't worn in years. Probably will never wear again. And you know what? There's people in this community who could probably use those clothes. I need to go through those. 
and I need to go donate them somewhere where somebody can use them. We look through the other stuff we have. You say, that stuff's just piling up. I don't ever use it. Well, you know what? Sell it and give the money to somebody that needs it, right? I mean, we need to remember that we shouldn't have so much of an attachment to our stuff because it just sits around in ruins like these people. And then it's no good to anybody. Stuff that's ruined can't help people that need help. So we need to avoid that way of relating to stuff. The next thing we see, not only do they hoard material goods, they didn't even obtain it in a moral fashion. Look in verse 4. He says, Indeed, the wages of the laborers who mowed your fields, which you kept back by fraud, cry out, and the cries of the reapers have reached the ears of the Lord of Sabaoth. The wages of the laborers who mowed your fields. These are day laborers. The day laborer with the backbone of the economy in this day. Of course, I'm very much an agrarian economy. The day laborers, if you didn't have the day laborers, you couldn't harvest your crop. You couldn't plant your crop. You couldn't work the field. Nothing happened without the day laborers. And the, the, the law of God in Leviticus actually has something to say about pay. I mean, they're so important to the economy. Leviticus has something to say about this. In Leviticus 19, verse 13, it says, You shall not oppress your neighbor nor rob him. The wages of a hired man are not to remain with you all night until morning. In other words, pay the man every day what you owe him. At the end of the day, they were supposed to pay the man, not wait till Friday and we'll pay you. The law said pay them today. They work today, they get paid today. That's the way it was supposed to work in this day and time. But see, the problem is, these folks that James is addressing, not only are they not paying them at the end of the day, they're just not paying them sometimes. Now, James didn't give us a lot of detail. You know, maybe these guys, they're just crooks, and they're coming up and saying, oh, I know we agreed on such and such, but you didn't do a very good job. I mean, maybe they did a great job. Oh, you didn't do the kind of job I wanted you. I'm cutting your pay back. You know, maybe they're, maybe, we don't know exactly what's going on, but we know they're not paying them what they were due. And you know, look at what it says. It says that that money cries out against you just like this corroding money is a witness against you. The way you are treating other people and the way you're relating to stuff is telling everybody who you really are, James tells them. And guess what? It's telling people you really don't believe in Jesus. You're really not acting like a Christian. So who is this where it says, of course, when I first read this, and of course I'm reading it fast, so I said Lord of the Sabbath, but it doesn't say that. It says Lord of uh, Sabaoth. I had to listen to see how that was supposed to be pronounced. Who is that? That is God being described as commander of the armies of heaven. So this is saying God hears the cries of those you're cheating, and he, he's going to send his angelic armies in judgment against you. Whoa! 
Boy, that'll wake you up, won't it? That makes me to start to think just a minute. Sounds like God takes this pretty seriously. And most of us are probably sitting back saying, well, he got that one covered. I don't, I don't have any day laborers that work for me, you know. But do we ever cheat somebody of money they're due? I'm just going to throw some things out there for you to think about. What about tipping the waiter or the waitress? Or the Sonic car hop, right? I didn't even know you were supposed to tip the car hop at Sonic until Caroline started working at Sonic. Did you know that the Sonic car hops don't make minimum wage? They rely on tips to make up that? I didn't know that. Nobody ever told me that. They need to put a sign up or something. But you know, our economic system is built in those service industries for them to rely on tips. And that's the... That's the way the system is designed. So you know what? We ought to honor that. If anybody ought to be people of honor and dignity, Christians ought to be people of honor and dignity. We ought to honor that. You know, we, we valet our cars, not in Columbia County. I remember the first time I valeted a vehicle. They laughed at me because of the, what the vehicle was. Uh, but I thought it was big working at SAU. Went to something, got to valet my old truck. <laughs> supposed to tip the guy. Stay in a hotel room. You're supposed to leave money for the maid, a tip for the maid. You think when we don't tip people who are supposed to be tipped according to the way our society is built, do you think we're robbing the day laborer? possible maybe it's just something that you never thought about I mean it's not saying you're doing it deliberately to try to line your pockets nobody gets rich off not tipping the waiter right but um, one more thing I'll tell you just to throw this out there most of the time when you have a bad experience at the restaurant it's not the waiter or waitress's fault so tip them 15 percent right I mean show them that you have class even if somebody else doesn't and so we ought to pay people what they're due. These people were not. These people were maliciously. And when we do it, it's not malicious that we withhold it. They were maliciously withholding money that was due to people who worked for them. What else did they do? Verse 5. Says, he, he says, you have lived on the earth in pleasure and luxury. You have fattened your heart as in a day of slaughter. You're saying, you mean I'm not supposed to have any luxury? I'm not supposed to have any pleasure? Well, the original, the original uh, text would read more like, you've, you've lived on earth for one purpose. That's your own pleasure and your own luxury. You've been self-seeking. You haven't looked out for anybody else. Your life is all about you. You are conceited. I mean, that's what it would be more like says you live for one purpose, and that's to glorify you. And we know that's as far from the Christian way of life as you can get, because it's not about me. It should be about Jesus. But again, James gives us a picture of judgment. I understand there's going to be a day of judgment in the morning at the Godwin's residence for a show hog, not for 
anybody else who lives there, going to slaughter a hog in the morning. Unfortunately, I have a prior commitment. David invited me to help, but uh, I have a prior commitment. It's legitimate, too. You know, my wife's in a boot and can't drive herself to work. It's her driving foot. At the time he's needing me, I'll be driving her to work, and then I have to be at a funeral later. And so uh, it's, uh, I'm booked tomorrow, so I can't help with the pig's day of judgment. But James uses that same type of picture here. He says, through your self-seeking and through your self-pleasure and through your self-luxury, all you've done is fatten yourself, probably literally, but, but at least uh, figuratively and in a negative way spiritually, as in the day of slaughter. Judgment's coming. The day of slaughter is coming for the people who live like this. And in closing, I want us to consider, or wait, wait, I skipped verse 6. Let's don't close yet. He says, you have condemned. You have murdered the just. He does not resist you. That he has condemned comes with the picture of you have You've pulled some strings and caused the judicial system to become corrupted so that you could get the judicial system to deal unjustly with somebody who's done nothing wrong. And then he says, you flat out, you've murdered the just. These people that James is talking to, they're resorting to killing people to protect their money because they're so wrapped up in themselves, they're willing to kill somebody to keep up with that. And he says, judgment's coming. He will not resist you. So in closing, I want to, to look over in, in 1 Timothy. In 1 Timothy chapter 6, we see a picture of how God expects us to live in relationship to money. In 1 Timothy chapter 6, it's just a couple verses. Verse 17, Paul tells Timothy, Command those who are rich in this present age not to be haughty, nor to trust in uncertain riches, but trust in the living God, who gives us richly all things to enjoy. Let them do good. What do you do with money? What do you do with wealth? What do you do with stuff? Here's what you do with it. Let them do good that they be rich in good works, ready to give, willing to share, storing up for themselves a good foundation for the time to come that they may lay hold on eternal lives. This is not a salvation issue. This is a how's our relationship with God issue. Our relationship to money tells us more probably about our relationship to God than almost anything else was it Billy Graham that said, give me five minutes with your checkbook and I can tell you more about your life than anything? Here's what you do with money. You say, I'm not wealthy. I don't have to worry about this. My, you know, my financial advisor called me back uh, a few months ago because I got a little IRA that I, put my, I rolled my money from SAU into an IRA. He called and said, we need to do an annual review. I said, I didn't know I had enough money to even review. You know, I'm not wealthy. You may say, I'm not wealthy. Guess what? You live in the United States of America. You're wealthy. Get over it, right? I'm wealthy. Get over it. Let's go talk to Jorge about what's going on in Venezuela and those folks down there. 
we are rich compared to so many people in the world. What do we do? We follow these instructions that Paul gave. Be rich in good works. Be ready to give and be willing to share. That's a simple way to have a right relationship, a right view of our finances. Is there anything before we dismiss?